2 Corinthians 9 tonight. We are uh, in the last half of that, or the last 10 verses of that. So, for the last couple of weeks, we've seen Paul speaking with the church in Corinth about this collection for the church in Jerusalem. Like we've said, we don't know the exact need, but there's a need there for the poor brothers and sisters. And Paul, in many of the churches that he traveled around to, was taking up an offering to go help them with that collection. And so he's talked to the Corinthians about, hey, this thing that you started so long ago, let's, let's get back to that. Let's pick that up. Two weeks ago, I told you that as we read through this text, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, that three different questions about generosity were going to be answered by it. And the first was, what defines generosity? The second is, what creates generosity? And the third one is, what is the result of generosity? So we've talked about this and answered the first question, what defines generosity? Unlike the world, which defines it by the amount that you give, the Bible defines generosity by a willingness to sacrifice. The desire, and Paul says it's not so much about how much you give, but it's about the eagerness inside of you to, to do so. And, and, and a giving that is in accordance with what you have. If you're not Bill Gates, you can't give $21 billion. Uh, but you can give something. And there's a reason that, that Jesus is more impressed with the widow's two mites than with all the rich people who came in and poured buckets of money into the temple treasury there. Um, so what defines it is sacrifice and desire, or a desire to sacrifice. And it's to the second question, what creates generosity? We said this, a joyful heart that is grateful for all that God has given to me. Paul said about the Macedonians that what brought generosity was um, incredible poverty and incredible joy. When those two things came together, um, meaning the poverty or the wealth was irrelevant, joy itself that looks and says, this is what Jesus did for me in the gospel. My life is built around somebody coming and giving me everything, and so I am happy to get to do the same for other people. That creates generosity in us. Tonight we get to answer that third question, what is the result? What happens when we are generous? What happens when we choose to give? Um, last week, uh, he had this little kind of excursion, I don't know what you want to say, this little kind of excerpt there on sending the three brothers, Titus and these two unknown brothers. And he ends by saying, hey, here's, here's the reason I'm sending them, is because I want you to be prepared for when I come. I don't want you to be caught off guard for this offering. I wanted them to kind of have you ready. And he says this in verse 5, So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. That is, not not through hands that are trying to grip your money. I don't want to pry it out of your fingers. I want you to be ready and excited, a willing gift. Now he's going to explain why he wants them to be able to give willingly and generously. Why does that matter so much? And here's Paul's answer in chapter 9, verse 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So here's where Paul starts with this. Here's why I want you to be able to give willingly, because, and he goes into this agricultural illustration that, um, that is actually this, this principle and idea, this illustration, is common throughout Scripture. It's used in a number of places. 
But, but here's what Paul says, whoever sows sparingly reaps sparingly. So if you put, and this is kind of logical, if you only put a little bit of seed on the ground as a farmer, you're only going to get a little bit of crop back. But if you throw a lot of seed out, then you're going to get a larger harvest from that. And he says this is true in the area of giving. The word he uses actually bountifully here, it's kind of interesting, it's actually the word blessing. And what makes that interesting is that means he uses it twice in this verse, and he actually, even though your Bible doesn't say it, in the Greek he uses this exact same word twice in the verse before. So that word blessing, if you look at verse 5, it says, um, I sent the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the, your Bible probably says gift or collection, it's actually blessing for the blessing that you have promised, so that it may be ready as a, not willing gift, blessing. So it may be ready as a blessing. And, and the idea, when, when your Bible translates it, willing gift is right, what he means is, like when you say to somebody, you have my blessing to do this, what you're saying is, I, I want you to be able to do this. I'm giving this to you freely. And so that's what they're getting across. I want it to be a blessing. I want it to be something that you are happy to give. So he says, I want it to be as a blessing for whoever sows with blessing will also reap with blessing, is what he says. So those two verses connect by that word being repeated over and over and over again. So, which means this, when he says whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully, he's again not talking about an amount. Because the word's not bountiful, it's with blessing. So he's not saying, if you sow out a whole bunch, then you get a whole bunch. But if you can only afford, like the widow with two mites can only afford to sow out a little bit, you're not going to get very much back. The word is, are you able to sow freely? That's kind of the idea behind bountifully or with blessing. Are you able to freely sow? And if so, freely you will receive back a blessing in return for those things. Um, And the logical conclusion of this is verse 7. So if it's true that when you sow bountifully, you reap bountifully, then he says, then each one ought to give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. These two verses, verses 6 and 7, give us three things that ought to characterize our giving and our generosity. Here's three things Paul says it ought to look like when you give. The first is that we ought to give freely, not sparingly. So bountifully, that word. So I'm going to be able to give freely, not, not trying to hold back as much as I can for myself and giving out a little bit. Second is we ought to give willingly, not reluctantly. Or under compulsion is the other way. That is, I'm not doing it because I'm getting guilted into it. I'm not doing it because I want to impress people. I'm not doing it to try and like... Um, get out of hell. If I can just do enough right things, kind of under compulsion, then maybe God will let me in. It's, it has nothing to do with those things. He says, I, I want it to be in your heart. He says, I want you to do it as you've determined in your heart. That is, I want this to be a decision that you're making of your own free will. Willingly, not reluctantly. And then the last one, number three, is cheerfully. For God loves, he says, a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver, and cheerful, I think, sits as the foundation of those three things. When you are cheerful to do it, then you will, you will do it freely, and you will do it willingly. And it also adds more depth to that agricultural reference. There's this commentator by the name of Barnett who writes about this, and he, he talks about this. I think this is so true. You never see a farmer crying or moping to himself as he scatters seed out on the ground. 
You never see a farmer that's sad to part with his seed. Why? Because the seed's not the point. Because he wants something better than seed. And so he's happy to throw seed out. And he's not going to just throw it sparingly. He's not going to try and hold on to as much as he can for himself and put a little bit out because the seed is not what the farmer wants. The farmer wants something better than that. He wants something different. So he is happy to throw seed out. And Paul says that's what you ought to be like. Like to, to hold on to your money as though that's the whole point is to have as much of that is like a farmer whose family is starving but he keeps holding on to the seed because he wants that. No, no, you ought to be happy to, to let go of these things because what is coming in return is better than that. Um, let's go to verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. You notice like the kind of comprehensive language of verse 8 there? Um, he says is that God is able to make all grace abound to you so that you may have all sufficiency in all things at all times so that you can abound in every good work. Paul just wants to say, just kind of take this to the max and say, when I say with blessing, when I say bountifully, I mean it. I mean what I'm saying to you. And so he says um, that he'll make all grace abound to you. That's, that's not, don't get confused. Usually when Paul's talking about grace, he's talking about saving grace. The grace that Jesus offers to us by dying on the cross. This undeserved gift that allows me to take the righteousness of Jesus and be, and be able to know God and be with Him forever because of that. But sometimes Paul just uses the word grace in kind of a generic, the good gifts of God. And so here he's saying that God is able to make all grace to, to give out the good gifts to you in, in this situation. And, and he says that you will have, this is kind of an interesting word, um, he'll make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency, that word is atarcheia, all right, in the Greek. And here's why it's kind of an interesting one. It gets translated sufficiency here. It only appears in the New Testament one other time. That's 1 Timothy 6.6. 6, and the word there is translated completely differently. Contentment. Contentment. There is one other form of it. The adjective, so this is the noun form of that word. The adjective form is found in Philippians 4.11 where Paul says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And so Paul might actually be saying here not that you are blessed with all sufficiency at all times and in all ways, but that you are blessed with all contentment. Able to be content in any situation. Now, I think maybe that there may not be that much difference. Because what he's talking about by this idea of sufficient is um, that you have enough. That you're okay. Whether, that, whether that's something that you have because God has given you contentment or because God is providing, but that you have enough and you can trust that God is able to work this in you, a sufficiency um, or a contentment in you through these things. He goes on in verse 9, and he's quoting from a verse here from Psalm 112 verse 5 and it says he has distributed freely he has given to the poor his righteousness endures forever now, upon first reading i thought he was talking about god there but actually in the psalm the psalm 112 is talking about a godly and righteous man who is generous and willing to give to the poor 
And he says that this kind of person, when they give their righteousness, endures forever. It, is a, it shows them to be the kind of person who has true righteousness given, from, given by God and welling up in them in righteous acts, and that lasts forever. He says that's kind of what happens when you are willing to give. Verse 10 and 11. He who supplies seed, so now that he is God again, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Now, these two verses right here stress the point that verse 8 was hinting at. I'm going to read verse 8 to you again. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, and, and here's the key, you may abound in every good work. So 8 was hinting at it. 10 and 11 make it more, ex, uh, more kind of explicit. The purpose of God blessing you um, is to enable you to give and serve more. So, so what Paul says is you will give and God will bless you to enable you to give and serve more. That He'll enable you to do more of those things. He says here that He will multiply your seed. Why? For sowing. So you can cast more of it out. You will be enriched in every way, made rich in every way. Why? To be generous in every way. That's that's the purpose. That's the point of it. And here's kind of a crazy thing. For every gift you give... What Paul seems to say here is that you never catch up with God because He gave to you twice. He gave to you on both sides of it. The reason you're able to give is because God enriched you to be able to give. And then once you gave, God blessed you with more for the sake of you being able to give. With more what? Enriched you in every way means what way? Blessing you with what? That's a good question. And it's a big one that needs to be answered, but we're not answering it right now. Um, and he says that this whole process results in thanksgiving to God which he explains further in verse 12 read that for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints that is the other Christians in Jerusalem but it is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. So it says thanksgiving comes when they receive this and they are overwhelmed and excited by it. And so it's not just, the only, it's not just meeting their needs, which is awesome, but it's also um, welling up in thanksgiving to God. And then I love this cause-cause effect that you see in verse 13. So in verse 13, the effect is this, that God is glorified. Um, let me make sure I see that right. Yes, they will glorify God. But why do they glorify God? What is the cause of this? Because of the Corinthians' submission, their obedience. But what is the cause of that? The gospel. He says, God is glorified when you obey in sending your money or in serving with your time or your energy. And the reason that you are able to obey rightly 
and this is what we saw all the way back in First or Second Corinthians eight, is because you see the gospel as it is. Paul says, "Here's why. Here's why I want you to give, because you know." the love of Jesus for you, the generosity of Jesus for you, that though he was rich, he became poor so that for your sake, you might become rich. That is, you might be able to know God. You might be given a new life. And so Paul comes back to the gospel and says, that's what enables a person, as we talked about, to be generous. That's what gives that kind of joy to them. Um, There's been a lot of debate. He gets into 15, so he says all this. Um, they'll glorify God because of your generosity and they'll long for you and pray for you because of your surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. There's a lot of debate over what that means. What is, Paul's, uh, what is God's inexpressible gift, Paul? Why don't you just express it so we can know it, Paul? Um, Paul says, no, I'm going to leave it inexpressible. Um, and so there are a number of people who kind of take a lot of shots at what that may be, what he's talking about. But I think, contextually, he may have just said it in verse 14. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. This surpassing, this overflowing, this more than needed, more than necessary grace poured out into your life. And by grace, I think what he's talking about is this whole process of all the blessing that goes into giving. That when I give, that I am enabled and enriched to give more and more, and I receive back, and there's joy that's given, and there's all these amazing things. And Paul says, everything that goes on in the middle of generosity and giving is a grace from God. It displays the goodness of God in our lives. And thanks be to God for that inexpressible gift. All the amazing things that are taking place through that. Um, So, question, what is everything that goes on? Or back to our original, what is the result of generosity according to this text? What happens when I choose to be generous? What happens when I choose to give? This text lists at least five things, and there may be more than that, but there are at least five things that Paul says happens when you choose to be generous. The first comes from verse 10. When I give, there will be a harvest of righteousness. And actually in verse 8 before that, an abounding in every good work. Now, I don't think, again, a harvest of righteousness doesn't mean you're like earning righteousness. Righteousness was given to you freely by Jesus when you placed your faith in Him. When he's talking about a harvest of righteousness, he's not talking about the kind that you earn to get something, but he's talking about the kind of person you're becoming. That when I do these things, that God is changing me from the inside out, and he's enabling me to be the kind of person who can abound in every good work, who can live the kind of life that he has called me to live. That's one of the results of generosity. The second result is this in verse 12, that thanksgiving goes out to God. When we are generous, it brings gratitude in people's lives, which is cool because we just mentioned a couple weeks ago that gratitude enables further generosity in people. So thanksgiving goes up to God. Um, The third thing we see in verse 13, a result of generosity is that God is glorified. They will glorify God because of the gift that you give to them. Number four, affection within the church is increased. So it says that when this happens, this is in verse 14, they will long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. 
that when we give to one another, that there's this opportunity for grace to be increased in our lives and then for love to be increased between one another for the way that we've been able to help one another and benefit each other. And then the last one, although this comes back in verse 11, so the question, the last one we find out is that we are enriched in every way, to be generous in every way. That's the last of the five. And as I, as I mentioned earlier, I haven't told you yet what we mean by that. What does Paul mean? You will be enriched in every way. What does he mean by saying that you will receive a blessing if you give with the blessing? Um, my mind has been a little bit changed on this this week. This is a dangerous text. Chapters 8 and 9, and particularly the 10 verses we just read, are a bit dangerous. And there have been a number of people throughout history, I would say mostly in the last hundred years, mostly in America, thanks USA, um, who have twisted this passage for some very wrong, um, for some very wicked intentions, I think. And that is to say that if you will sow a seed of generosity, that God is going to bless you back with more of that. That God is going to give you more money. So if you'll just give your money, give your money to my you know, ministry, give your money to this cause, give your money to this church, then God's going to give you more and more money. That's what it says. You'll be enriched every way. Hey, sow sparingly, reap sparingly. Sow bountifully, reap bountifully. And for that reason, I have always been very um, hesitant and cautious about this passage, about what I want to see in it. And my tendency is to think, first of all, that this is only an issue of righteousness that all the blessings that are given here are spiritual. But I started reading through it a little bit, and there's some things that that have kind of changed my thought on that. Um, He says here that you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. And this is what leads me to think every way probably includes some material resources. Like that, that enriched in every way means that I get blessings in my spirit, that I am made more righteous, that I am given greater levels of joy in serving, greater levels of growth, but also I think that, I'm, that it could actually mean that I'm actually getting more material things, that I might have more money in order to be able to give more money. He says here that it will multiply your seed for sowing. And, and in the first part of the text, when he's talking about seed, he's talking about money. Cast your seed so that that might come to us. He says that you'll have all sufficiency in all things. And if that word sufficiency isn't just contentment, that he might be talking about getting stuff. I believe, okay, that the primary point of this passage is saying this. That in our giving, God is making us into the kinds of people who are able to give more and able to abound in every good work. And this includes a greater joy in Him. This includes a greater growth in godliness. When you give, you grow in godliness and maturity and righteousness. It includes also a generous spirit that grows up in you. And sometimes, I'm starting to believe, sometimes it means that God even gives you more physical, material resources. But here's where the prosperity gospel gets it so wrong. This idea that if I just give, if I sow a seed of faith, then it will come back to me. The reason that the prosperity gospel gets that so wrong is that the belief is that if I sow a seed of faith, then it comes back to me so I can hold on to it. And what this text says over and over and over again is God will bless you in order to be able to give it away again. 
that God will provide not more than you need, sufficient. He will supply your need. Not, he's not going to give you bigger houses. I'm not making you that promise, says Paul, who, who's not riding from a big house, by the way, right? He's not going to give you a fancy sports car or sports chariot because Paul's not riding around in a sports chariot at this point, right? Paul, Paul from, I, I don't know how anybody reads Paul's words and thinks that this is about getting rich when the dude who wrote it is anything but rich. Um, it, because the, the whole idea is God gives to me so I can give. And sometimes that's energy and sometimes that's growth and sometimes that might be physical resources, but He gives to sustain me so I can give it away. And Prosperity Gospel says if I give, God will give to me so I can hold on to it for myself. And then I'll give a little bit more. I'll sow a seed of faith and, and get a little bit more so I can hold on to more of it for myself. And again, that's like a farmer throwing out seed or throwing out seed expecting to get back more seed. It's not, it's not the point of sowing. You get back something different than seed primarily when you sow. You're getting back wheat because you want wheat, because you want bread, because you want these things. And yes, with the wheat sometimes comes more seed, but that seed is not there for you to hold on to and try and build up as much of it as you can. That seed is there so you could sow more of it. And this is the goal from the beginning, is that that idea would take place in us. That I would be happy to give my stuff away, knowing that some might come back to me so that I can give more of it away, and that that is better than getting more money. That is better than getting these things. I was, um, see our time here. All right, I'll tell you this. Um, uh, I, I think... So like a, a few years ago, no, it was probably seven or eight years ago, my, my cousin started plant, uh, planting churches in Japan. And so he called, he called and, and asked if my wife and I would want to support him in that. And, and so we had just actually, we had just gotten a little bit more money, like started making some more money. We're like, yeah, man, we, I love my cousin. I love what he wants to do over there, start playing churches. So we started giving it, and, and not tons, honestly. We're, we're not giving tons, but we're getting a little bit over, over that. And, and I was just thinking through that as I read through this text, the joy I get to experience in that, and the happiness I get to experience in that, um, and how that's a joy that's going to get to last forever. When one day I get to meet my Japanese brothers and sisters that I, I, I maybe never knew, but got to be a part of them hearing the gospel, a small little part. And I get to, like, every time I see that brother or sister in the new heavens and new earth, experience a new joy that comes out of that. And I think about what would happen if instead I held on to that, which would allow me to have, I don't know, a little bit larger car payment so I could have had a nicer car, or a little bit larger house payment so I could have had a nicer house, or I could have bought more whatever, video games or whatever, and I think about the contrast of the joy I would have had being able to see a brother or sister in the new heavens and new earth every time because I gave, or the kind of joy I would have had about telling that Japanese brother or sister about the sweet car I used to drive, and how weak and silly this one looks in comparison to that one that I'll get to experience for eternity. And I'm not talking about I give because it makes me feel good to give. I'm talking about the real joy of knowing that I got to be a part of the gospel, doing things in the world, that, that I got to be, play a small role in that. And, uh, and, and why would I just want more seed when I could have those things? And, uh, and, and that's what Alex is going to share a little bit more about here in just a second after we take a quick break.
Okay, cool. Um, so, I've received some uh, some pretty funny emails over the uh, over the years that I've figured out how to use email. Um, it took me a while, um, but I bet you guys there's one email that all of you have received in this room, or you're going to receive. It, it goes something like this. Okay. Hey, uh, we know that you guys. Uh, had, you, we're so glad that you got to be a part of our cowboy experience, and uh, we just want to, we want to make sure that you, we can make, have other people have that cowboy experience too, so, um, <coughs> we, uh, we want you, uh, could, you want to donate money to OSU? <laughs> no! <laughs> it's like, it's like, dude, you've taken all my money, what? I've got I've got nothing left to give, Coach. But we don't. Okay, we don't have to respond rudely to those. I knew, I typically don't respond, but you can respond to those by going like, actually, I have I have donated. Um, I've directly donated. Uh, you we we can count all my parking citations as donations. There you go. Enjoy the cowboy experience. Those emails are just pure irony. And tonight, I feel like this is a little bit of irony, too. And I feel like my boss has set me up for failure here because I get to talk about to college students about being generous. It's like, I, sure, I'll, I'll tithe. I got negative dollars. Sure. <laughs> but specifically, the thing that we're going to be working with tonight is, uh, is prosperity gospel. Um, like Drew said, there's parts in this verse, in these verses, that make it sound like if, if you give, God will give. If God will give to the giver. Um, and so the main, my main thesis, or whatever you want to call it, that we're going to be working with tonight is God wants us... So, sorry, man. God, want, God wants us to have the best life now, and for best life, you can just count it, for the best life, you can just say, he wants to bless me, he wants me to have things, does God want us to have the best life now, and we rag on people in, in the Bible Belt, we, we hear people like Joel Osteen, we say, who's saying, if you give, you're going to get, and we say, dude, you, you don't get the whole picture, you, that's, not, that's not the entire, there's more, the gospel's more complex than that. But if these verses are saying it, then, I mean, I, you have to, that's what it says. And it's obviously true. So, that's what we're going to be dealing with. Um, before we get started uh, in talking about the possible solution, I need you guys' help. I need you guys to help me write a sermon for tonight. Not this one, I, hopefully I've already got this one. But uh, I want to write a sermon as to why not to give. Which is, this is pretty great. I mean, I've been waiting for one of these sermons um, in college. Why should you not give? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you out. I'll give you the first one. Okay, repeat after me. I'm broke. I'm broke. Guys, that's perfect. Perfect. I is broke. All right, someone give me another one. Uh, a reason why you shouldn't give. What can you do with your money? 
Okay, movies, got it. Do, do stuff. What's another one? Eat stuff. Eat stuff, I like it, I like it. Eat stuff, got it. What's another one? Anyone? Okay, yeah, get rid of debt. Any Valentine's Day, any Valentine's Day ideas? Maybe a little late, but date night, awesome. If you have a date, date night. Or it's a, it's a date, I'm taking myself out, I don't know. So, I'll be honest, this looks like a pretty great sermon. Like, if I, if I came up and I gave this, I think we'd all, we'd all be like, yes, that's what I'm talking about. But, so these are some of the reasons why not to give. Let's, uh, let's think about what Jesus taught on generosity. You've heard some of it before. I'll repeat it. Um, but just, just picture this, okay? Jesus, the guy that heals the sick, that, that stops storms, that walks on water, and we talk about this like it's nothing, um, he, he said a lot of weird stuff. He said people that, he says things that people did not expect. Um, besides calling them vipers and stuff, he'd always be just cryptic or, or taking just things that are normal and making it very deep, teaching deep lessons. Um, so I picture, I picture one of the times, is, just picture this with me. He's walking along a road, and the crowds are, are trying to press in. They just want to touch, touch this guy because they know they get healed. I mean, I would be trying to touch him too. I don't even know if I'm sick, but just uh, maybe. Um, and he stoops down, and he picks up a flower. And he says... Consider the lilies of the field. They don't toil. They don't spin. My father clothes them with more splendor than all of Solomon. And he, I don't know, he tosses the flower down. I mean, Solomon was pretty, pretty majestic. They didn't have so much gold, they didn't know what to do back then. Make a gold rake, I don't know. Um, and Jesus says... If that's how my father clothes the grass, how much more is he going to clothe you? And then, I don't know, he keeps walking, and he, uh, he, he points to a field and said, Look out there. You see those birds? They don't sow. They don't reap. But my father feeds them. Not one falls to the ground without him knowing about it. And you, every hair on your head is numbered. If that's how my father takes care of the birds, how much more is he going to take care of you? Another one that's already been referenced tonight, and this is, this is amazing when you think about it. You see, uh, see him sitting there in the temple, and people are coming in and doing the right thing, guys. People are giving money to God. They're being good Jews. Um, paying for the temple. I've probably given a lot of stuff. And then this dirt poor woman comes in and gives two pennies. It's probably less than two pennies. I don't know. I didn't look it up. But she gives nothing. That's like me at Panera when I, and it's like $9.99 and I pay with a $10 bill and I say, hey, keep the change. <laughs> Buy yourself something nice. Yeah, sure. You know? And Jesus says, stop. Did you see that? That 
is honored by my Father in heaven. Above all else, because it's sacrifice. Jesus seems to teach that the sacrifice is very important. And he teaches us that we shouldn't worry. If God clothes the grass with beauty and gives the sparrows food to eat, then, then why do we worry? So that's Jesus, what Jesus has to say on it. Um, back to our main thesis for tonight. So, Drew talked a little bit about how, that there's, a, there's spiritual blessings and there's physical blessings. I want to talk about when. So we have, God wants us to have the best life now. Let's look at now. When does God want to bless me? When does God want me to have the good life? So I think the first one's pretty easy. Um, when, when did God bless me? Uh, it's in the past. It's in Jesus. You know, the whole, every wrong that I've done has been forgiven. That I've been made right in Jesus by His act on the cross. But here's the one I struggle with when I, when I hear prosperity preaching. is like, no, God doesn't want us to, God, God doesn't bless you now. It's hard now. It's then. Turn to Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1. I always get it wrong. I say Ephesians 2. Ephesians 1, verse 2. Okay, it says this. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, listen to this part, okay? Who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. God has blessed you now with everything. Every spiritual gift in the heavenly places. It's like, it's not just that that God gave you, gave you all the stuff that you have now. I think we can, we can agree on that. But everything that heaven had to offer you has been given to you now. The, store, the treasure house of heaven has been emptied on you because, namely, the treasure of heaven, God himself, is with you. You can speak to God. You can walk with God. You have that intimate, personal relationship that people would have killed for back then. So that's now. And then, <laughs> this, is, this is easy. Um, then, later. There's this one word that I cannot grasp. It's eternity. Eternity. Um, or infinity. Like, you know, uh, when we have those math equations, I think they're called logarithms. I don't know when people say... There's X and Y, and it goes this way to infinity, but it never touches the line. Sure, whatever, you know. I'll believe it when I see it. I'll just mark it. I'll mark it across the line. I can't grasp eternity. But we are told that we have everything that heaven has to offer for eternity. And I know you're saying, okay, that's spiritual, yeah, um, if time is money, I'm loaded, guys. <laughs> if time is money, I've got all of it. I'm, I'm making bank, ladies. 
it also doesn't work because all the guys in here are also just as rich as I am. So we're back on, back on evil, even playing field. But you've been blessed with everything forever. And that's incredible to grasp. I can't even understand it. But why? Okay, that's, that's something we don't really think about. Is uh, like We hear God, you know, we have been, Romans 6 talks about how we've been set free from sin to become slaves to righteousness. It's not, it's not that you're just being set free. Or Galatians 5, um, it, it's what it quotes, the quote is, for freedom you've been set free, but then he goes on to say, you've been free to serve. You've become free to love. You've become free to walk in the step of the Spirit. So if God is going to bless us in the past and now and forever, what's the aim? Why? I've got a question for you guys. Um, have you ever had a good test? A good test. Not a, not a test that you, you aced, or not a really easy test. I, mean, I hope you guys have had that. But I mean a test with good things. You ever thought about that? That maybe blessings are given to you as they test themselves. I've given Alec all these gifts. I've given Alec, hopefully, an incredible mind. Hopefully, that's still out. To, that's still out. We don't know yet. What's he going to do with it? Is he going to waste it? Is he going to keep it to himself, like Drew was saying? Or is he going to use it for the kingdom? And if blessings can be a test, have you ever thought about maybe blessings being a curse. Now that doesn't make sense. It's an oxymoron. Blessings are a curse. What if all the things we want in life, uh, think about the things that you struggle with daily, like I just want to be popular. I just want this one person to like me. I just want, uh, I don't know, money. I've got none. (laughs) What if those blessings are actually a curse if they aren't given to you with the ability to honor God through them? What if you have this, but you don't have the ability to, to grasp it rightly? Think, think about God in heaven saying like, man, I just want to give Alec, a, I don't know, name it, a ton of dough. And I know that he's going to spend the rest of his life worshiping that. And it's going to ruin him. Why would God give that? Do you think that's a good thing? What if the blessings that we seek after are not what we think they are, if they don't come with the right heart? Is it for no reason that Jesus speaks about it being harder than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle I take that wherever you want. Maybe, it, maybe it's a, an actual needle. Maybe it's that, you know, pe- we've heard that's a, maybe a small gate that they had to get down. I don't know. Is it for no reason that Jesus said it's incredibly hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven? So this comes to my last, uh, my last thing. What, so we know, it's, we know it's now. We know that we will be blessed. Um, how does God define the best life? I want to I use another prosperity gospel verse. It's one of those coffee cup 
verses. A lot of you probably know it's a very popular one. Turn to Romans 8. Romans 8, verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those that are, co- that are called according to His purposes. I've heard this one used as like, a, like for those that love God, for those that claim to be Christian, that everything's going to work out for you. Like uh, that job you want, it, it, don't worry about it. All things work together for your good. Or uh, all this stuff we're worrying about. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. All things work together for your good. But the question is, what is the good? Who defines the good? Um, I, was, I, was talking to, I was talking to Tucker earlier in wherever he is. He's right there. Um, and he, has, he said something in, in our table group that I just I totally, I totally missed. He was saying, for those that are called according to his purposes, that... If my aim is the same as God, then those, those things we talk about, blessings being cursed, doesn't matter anymore because God's my aim. I'm on the same trajectory. But what is God's aim? Like what, is, what is God aiming for you in your life? What would does God consider the best life now? Next verse, verse 29. Maybe. For those whom He foreknew... He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. See, God defines the best life. God wants us to have the best life now. What's the best life for you to look like Jesus? This is nothing new. This isn't some (laughs) profound thing that you're just now hearing. But the way that God wants to bless you is for you to look exactly and walk exactly like and talk exactly like his son did. Now, how do you do that? The big one that we're talking about tonight is, is sacrifice. It takes, it takes sacrifice. The other ones that we're not fond of hearing, but we've been hearing over the past couple of weeks, is, uh, is suffering. That maybe the blessings that God gives you to get the best life now is the hardships in life. Maybe that's God's blessing. I'm thinking, I don't, <laughs> that sounds terrible. It's to the best life. Maybe one of the, be- the best things that God can bless you with is failure. I know we want to be su- such successful people, but successful people that never have to trust in God, that never have to lean on Him, is that, is that what God wants? I hardly trust God now. And I, I do have these struggles. I won't trust Him when I don't. I want to finish up by telling you guys a story. It's a great one. I'll try and keep it together as I tell you. Um, so I was listening to an older believer uh, tell me this story. Um, he, <laughs> he was driving and it was, it was freezing outside. And he saw a guy walking on the side of the road um, in shorts. So he's like, okay, I'm, I'll pick him up. And he drives over, says, hey, do you want to ride? Can I help you? And the guy gets in. He says, where are you going? I'm, I'm going to the bus stop. Me and my wife are going to, we're, we're going to a different town. We're moving. And <laughs> this Christian, I'm not, I am not suggesting this, okay? This 
fellow Christian of ours, he decides that our friend is going to be waiting at the bus stop with his wife, and he's in shorts, and, and I can't let that happen. I know what James says. I know that I have to, I have to help out. So he literally, I don't, know, I don't know how this transaction went down. <laughs> he takes off his pants, and he gives them to the guy, and the guy accepts them, and he puts, he puts on this stranger's pants. <laughs> and so they start driving, and as... He, he, now has, he now has a jacket wrapped around his pants. Um, and as he's driving, uh, it, gets, it gets better. He, the guy says, the, the guy with pants now, says, um, hey, can we pick up my wife? Can we, can we go get her and can we take her to the bus stop? And our friend says, I mean, I mean sure. <laughs> you realize what kind of situation we're in now, but sure, I can go, I can go pick her up. So they go pick up. The wife, I don't know what kind of situation she walks into. She sees her husband with a newfound pair of pants and a stranger who is not wearing any in the car. But she gets in, okay? And he takes them to the, to the bus stop. And there's some kind of, there's some kind of problem. That for some, I don't know if the car declined or something, but they don't have the money to get on the bus. And our friend says, hey, I got it. And he pays $300 for them to ride to whatever town they're going to. And they just say, okay, dude, weird dude without pants. What is this? Why are you doing this? And his reply is, I know what it's like to be in need. I know what it's like to have someone else come through for me. And he gets to share what Jesus has done in his life and why he's totally changed. And that's, that's why he did this. That's why he even takes his pants off for people. Weirdest phrase ever, I'm sorry. And he goes his way uh, $300 and one pair of pants shorter, and they go their way with a story to tell for the rest of their lives. This is great, but there's one thing that I didn't tell you. This man is broke. This man does not have a dollar to his name, like a lot of you. He has debt. And here he is paying money for people to go get on buses and giving away his pants. And I hear this, and I get mad. I say, dude. You just got played. You don't know them. You don't know what they're going to do. Sure, yeah, they didn't have money. Okay, yeah, whatever. You see, my mindset fits along with what we made right here. If I was going to give a sermon and wrap up why not to give, I would say, be wise. Be wise with your money. Get all you can because it's all about you. I say this in his reply with tears in his eyes. He says, I got to be Jesus to someone. I got to be Jesus to someone.
Now, here's what I'm not telling you. I'm not telling you that you should go give all you own to the poor and just spend your money with abandon. I don't know, maybe. Talk to Scott and Drew after that if that's what you're feeling. Um, that's not the point. The point is, maybe if we are so devoted to being wise with our money that we should be devoted to being faithful. Maybe the wisest thing is not always the most God-honoring. In conclusion, after all we've said tonight, I, I don't know to what extent God will bless you. But we've heard this and we've heard Jesus say, do not worry. He will take care of you. Recognize what you have and honor God with it. Go and be Jesus to someone else on campus. All right, I'm going to pray and then we will wrap up and I think there's cookies that we can have. Dearly Father, thank you. Thank you because you have blessed us with everything. God, I know that <laughs> this time is a hard time. I know that, that money or all the things that we're, we're desiring don't come freely. God, but we know that you've promised that you are with us and that you will take care of us. And I pray that we trust you. And God, as we go, as we act, as we, as we go throughout the day, I pray that you remind us what you did to us and that you help us go and be you to someone else. God, you have blessed us with everything. Everything this world has to offer and more because you have given us yourself. We thank you, Lord. We love you. And we pray that we get the chance to show you to others. It's in Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thanks, guys. Stick around, hang out, and eat some cookies over there. <laughs>